Ron and Anian. Well, you know, if I hold the wheel here or if I'm driving down the road on a Tuesday, if my husband's wearing plaid socks and suspenders, it seems to turn on the check engine light. And that's pretty much the way the description was at the counter, and I went, oh, boy. A man's best friend is his automobile. I got myself a title and a little money down And dollars worth of gas ought to get me into town When you spend your life walking here to there The world looks better in a rearview mirror The car doctor, it's got to be worth four or five hundred bucks Here's the deal, the problem becomes You're talking about something that's over 30 years old That's right So parts availability, you can be at a risk here Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian The car doctor Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now, here's Ronnie. hey Ronnie Ronnie the car doctor here, 855-560-9900 is the phone number as always, the car doctor 24-7 number. Keep that in mind because if you need us during the week and we're not here, or you happen to call in, because you're on an affiliate that takes the show on delayed broadcast, the 855-560-9900 phone number will ensure that you get to the recording. And you can leave a message, and we're looking forward to talking to you, that Fast Harry will call you back and line you up for the next live show, which is Saturdays, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time. And you can also call 855-560-9900 during the live show, and just know that someone will answer the phone and put you in the lineup there. But um, if you want to get in the queue the other way, just leave a message at the phone number, and Fast Harry, our executive producer, will line you up and put you in that in that lineup. We'll do a quick shout-out and say hi. Mom's still watching the show. Mom, wave so everybody can see. We've got Mom here today. Um, she just said to me during the break between the two hours, because obviously this is the second hour if you're an affiliate that takes both, she said, you know, I'm glad I named you Ron Anani. And she says, because if I named you Hog Up Anani, and it just wouldn't flow on radio. And I said, well, gee, Mom, glad you were thinking so many years ago that uh, you got the name right. At least we'd have a radio show all these years later. So at least that's very, very important. So she's looking at me. I'm going to get smacked when I get outside the booth. Let's go over and talk to, let's kick the garage doors open right off the bat because we've got a lot going on this hour. Let's go over and talk to Bill Sebring, Florida, 99 Dodge Ram, 1500 van. Bill, welcome to the car doctor, sir. How can I help? Yeah, thank you, Ron. You're welcome, sir. What's going uh, on? I got a 99 Dodge. Right. 1500 series. Okay. And I replaced the plugs in it. It started running rough, and I started getting lousy gas mileage. Right. Is it and, uh, is it mostly at idle that it runs rough, Bill? No, sir. It's running rough uh, when I'm driving it. Okay. And when I come up to red light, it stops. You know, it idles down better and smooths out a little bit, but... When I take off, it uh, starts up again, running rough again. Okay. Now, could that be the plug wires are in the transmission? Well, that could be plug wires. That could be leaky intake gasket. That could be a dropped valve seat, which is common on these. Let Let me back up a second. Let me ask you this. What sort of tools do you have? Do you have a scan tool by chance? No, sir, I don't. Um, okay, so let's do this. This is this is the uh, V6. This is a three nine V6, right? Yes, sir. Okay, so if I had a scan tool, which would give me the ability to talk to the computer, and this this could be a broken plug wire. This could be something real simple, and never never rule out basics. So you know, if we want to diagnose from the seat of our pants without tools, my first question would be: you just put plugs in it. 
how old is the truck, and when was the last time you put wires on it? Well, uh, they put a, a different motor in it four years ago. Okay. and uh, When somebody else owned it, and I bought it a year later, and uh, it ran fine. Okay. For four years. So, you know, if we wanna if we wanna shoot from the hip, which I understand we have to sometimes, the best right. way if we wanna if we wanna troubleshoot the wires, although at this point if it's running rough, it's an educated guess in that you know, we could miss the wires with a little bit of water, sometimes a little spray bottle and just you know, does it make it run rough? But in your case it's already running rough, so will you know that it's running rougher? Now this is a ninety nine so one of my questions in the back of my head is, does it have any fault codes? Is the check engine light on? Does the check engine light bulb light? Does it work? Uh, yes, sir. I got the uh, check engine light. I got the uh, brake lights on. Okay. So in other words, the, got... the, the check engine light's on while you're driving this truck already. Yes, sir. Okay. So step one. Uh, it, it, it came on just before this started. Okay. Step one. Let's scan it for codes. Got to yes, do sir. it. Got to do it. All right. Uh, you know, it's there. There's there's no magic pill here. If if you went to the hospital and and you weren't feeling good, Bill, and you went into the emergency room and you said, "Hey, I I've, I've got weakness in my arms," what are they going to do? They're going to test everything, right? They're not just going to start giving you pills. True. So you've you've got a symptom. The car's got a symptom. Check engine lights on. So I'd love to know what that fault code is. Now that being said, I'll give you the two most common failures that I've seen that create this condition before I let you go. Number one, if the misfire is mostly at idle, and I'm not too sure that it's not, uh, if it's mostly at idle, all right, it can be off idle, I'd love to have a scan tool and be able to look at what we call IAC counts, idle air control motor counts. To put that in simple terms, think of the front door to your house. If, If the door is closed, that's zero. If the door is wide open, that's an IAC count of 255. To maintain a little bit of airflow past that door, it might be open to about position 10. All right? Same thing with a car. Yes, an, IAC, an IAC motor is, is like the front door. It, it, it's, it's held by the computer to open up and create a little bit of an air leak to raise and lower the idle speed based on load. If I had a scan tool and I could look at IAC counts, one of the things I'd be curious to see is, are the IAC counts greater than 20? If they're greater than 20, then that's where I want to be, 15 to 20. If they're zero and the idle is real rough, I want you to take a flashlight and look down the throttle body. This is throttle body injection. And I bet you're going right. to see I bet you're going to see oil at the bottom of the intake manifold, and that tells me that the lower plenum gasket is leaking, and you'll never find that by conventional means. All right. That's step one. If the IAC counts are good and you go through ignition and the wires are good and the injector is good and that stuff, the next thing would be for a shop, because I don't think you're going to have this, is to start doing a cylinder leak down test. Pressurize the cylinder. Right. We're looking for air. We're listening for air in the throttle body. The other thing that's common with these is the exhaust valves, particularly the exhaust valves, will crack the seat in the cylinder head, creating a very small leak. And you'll get that patu, 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 that little bit of a miss that'll develop into something worse the more you drive it. So some of the basic okay. things. Yeah, this could be a leaky EGR valve. This could be, you know what? This could be a lot of things. 
Those two are common, but get a look at the check engine light and see what's going on there. And, you know, let's let's use that to diagnose. The car's trying to tell us something's wrong. Let's use it to diagnose it. Good luck to you, Bill. And uh, thanks for tuning in down there, Sebring, Florida. Let me know if you need anything else. Let's go talk to Steve, Omaha, Nebraska, 91 Camaro. Steve, welcome to the car doctor, sir. How can I help? Oh, man. you got big problems with this car. Uh, let me see. It runs great. And when it starts up, but and it dies. There's a, there's a butt here somewhere. Um, Excuse me? There's, there's got to be a butt here somewhere because I heard this car runs good, and I knew you were going to yeah. say butt. So, yeah. um, so t- tell me that again. What's going on? Okay, it starts up and dies. All right, start and stall. Yeah, yeah, it starts up. You can rev it up, stuff like that, but it's still the won't idle and it just dies. I replaced the fuel pump on it, and I thought that was it. No, it had nothing to do with it, So, it, and it's still the same thing. Just starts up and dies. It's a two-point injection, three fifty. Right. This is and, a, uh, this is this is throttle body injection. Yes. Nothing. Yes, it, yeah. n- nothing you do will make this car. We, if you if you hold your foot on the accelerator on the gas pedal, yeah. can, can you hold a fast idle? Will the car continue to run? Yes. Yes, it will. All right. So but it's, as soon as you put it on load, it's like that, it'll just die. Or as soon as you try to let it idle, it'll die. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Um, and I'm, I'm stuck on All right. Uh, any service engine suit? This is 91. Any service engine soon light on? Anything like that? I didn't that? see none. All right. If you turn the key to the on position without starting it, does the service engine soon light up? Yes. It works in bulb check. Okay, that's good. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then Harry said something to me that you said something about the heater core? Was it oh, my- yeah. Here's what we did. We, uh, first, my son brought it to me and says, the heater core is leaking. I said, okay, for right now, we're just going to bypass the heater core. So that's what I did, and that's when it started to run bad right after that. How did you bypass the heater core? I just bypassed it, you know, by um, taking the hose off, and uh, I just connected them together, uh, you know, so there was a flow. And it was, and it, was by- it was immediately after that? Yeah, exactly. Right after that, it started, it wouldn't, wouldn't start. It won't. Well, it'll 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 start, but it won't. Oh yeah, yeah, idle. yeah. Right. Yeah. Won't idle. Yeah, this, won't idle. Sorry. This, this is a Vin F motor, right, Steve? It's uh, it's, it's called a TBI uh, two point injection. This is the five liter. Yes, yes. No, it's a five seven. Right. Okay. Where's the distributor? Where's the distributor on this, Steve? It's in the back of the motor, right? Right, right before I was messing with that stuff. Right. Um, by chance, did you happen to take the distributor cap off? Um, it does need. It will need plugs and wires and a new cap. Well, I'm just wondering if when you were bypassing it with the heater hoses, I'm wondering how much coolant spilled and dripped onto the radiator, onto the distributor cap itself, and I wonder how wet it is inside. Um, right now it's off, and, and, and uh, let me see. Nothing really leaked on that because it was basically when it came home, my, my son had water in it. And uh, so nothing really got wet there. So wait, wait a minute. You you said when your son came home, it had water in it. No, yeah, he's used water because because we hooked the heater core before and it and it went bad, and uh, so we had to do it all again, over again to bypass the heater core. Okay. And my son said it was overheating, and so uh, that's when we redid the the bypass. Okay. You know, until you get it in there, because we got the heater core already for it, but it's, you know, it's a big thing for him to put that heater core in. Right. Oh, yeah, it's a big and, job uh, on that car. 
but uh, he did them for uh, Eagles at school, stuff like that. But but I just can't figure it out. I, I mean, right, yeah, right after that, it ran back. You know, won't it'll idle? It, you know, it won't idle. You start it up, and it won't idle. Okay, so. I'll tell you what, Steve, stay put. I'm running up against the clock. Don't go away. I'll be back right after this. I'm Ron and the car doctor. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back. Ron and the car doctor. Let's just jump back in with Steve Omaha, Nebraska, 91 Camaro Z28. Steven. Hello. Steve, you broke your car. That's my that's my conclusion. Let me let me let me get serious for a second. What sort of tools okay. do you have? Do you have a um do you have a spark tester? Um well I could I could I could, I could check the spark. That ain't a problem. Yeah, how are you gonna check it? Tell me. Uh just by pick the plugs the, the wires off. Well, no. I want you to go. Out, oh, I want. No. I want you to go down to your local auto parts store. You got an O'Reilly Auto Parts near you? Oh yeah. Okay. Get down. To, get down to your local O'Reilly Auto Parts. Tell them you want to buy a spark tester, and they'll have okay. they'll, they'll have different varieties. They'll have the type. It'll look like a spark plug with a little alligator clip attached to it. That's a okay. that's a fixed voltage spark tester. See if they have yeah. the adjustable style voltage tester which will be a it'll be a piece of black plastic with some lines on it for graduations one side will be okay. a steady fixed post and the other side will allow you to adjust the gap that's how okay. you check for accurate spark i want to see what sort of spark output this car has off idle all right in in 91 okay. that car should push 25 to 30,000 volts out of that coil Okay. All right. If it doesn't, we're going to start to talk about a weakened ignition system. And what I'm suspect of is the pickup coil, the piece in the center of the distributor. Okay. Isn't putting out proper signal. Do you have a digital? Hmm. Do you have a digital voltometer? Oh yes, I do. Okay. So you want to measure the pickup coil output. All right. Okay. You want to set your voltmeter to AC, and you should see over 700 millivolts while cranking. Over 700. Okay. All right. If you don't have 700 millivolt, if it's less, chances are you've got a moderately weak pickup coil or the base magnet of the distributor, the pole piece, is bad. And I've seen that, too, back in the day where they would crack and they would make uh, all kinds of screwy problems. And the only way you're going to okay. find that is pull the distributor out, drive the pin out of the bottom, take the shaft out, and you'll see a crack in the bottom of the magnet. Now you used okay. to be, you used to be able to back in the day buy that pole piece that centerpiece of the distributor. Uh, I don't know if it's still okay. available. If it is, I would try that before I just bought a, a, a reman distributor. But talk to the guys at O'Reilly about that as well and see what they've got. I'm just okay. Yeah, I'm just kind yeah, of. I just want to start with basics. That's all. And then if you have the ability, check fuel pressure. Let's make sure fuel pressure is thirty five, thirty eight pounds. You yeah, know, it's fine. Right. It's like 43. Okay, you know. so then you're good. You were going to say yeah, something. Yeah, I just pull one in. <laughs> okay, you were going to say something, or was that it? Oh, no, no. I was going to say um, there is an MSD bill distributor in it, an MSD ignition. And, okay, if I just go take that distributor out, can I uh, I can just take another uh, – I have a 305 sitting out there with a good distributor. 
Could I just try that and put that in there and see if it works? Yeah, see if it runs. Absolutely. The way yeah. I would the way I would verify that is if you know what car that three oh five came out of. Yeah. When you're at O'Reilly, yeah, tell them is it the same distributor five seven to five oh? Do the part numbers match yeah. up? Chances are they do, or at least it'll give you something to work from. There may be a yeah. difference. There may be a difference because of the way the modules were set up with different spark timing. And the only way you're going to know for sure is to plug it in and try it. Now, you could put that other distributor in and leave the car in EST bypass mode, leave that brown wire with the black trace, the pigtail that you use to set timing, leave that unplugged, Uh and then you'll just be running off the distributor, spark a spark at that point, just to see what happens. All right? Wow. So, But that's where I would head. That's where I would head. All right, kiddo? I'll try that. If you need me during um, if you if you need me during the week, Steve, send me an email, Ron at Cardoctorshow dot com. I will. Hey, right. thanks right. a lot, bud. All right, brother. Take good care. Um yeah, and listen, I'm glad the way we threw that in there about the MSD. That would change the whole diagnosis <sighs> again. So it's um it's kind of tough. Hey, real quick piece of email. Ron, I heard you respond to a question about a vehicle that wouldn't shut off. I remember this a couple of weeks ago. He said it was a GM vehicle. I had a similar experience. With a six-month-old 2014 Explorer while driving at 70 miles an hour, I lost the entire dashboard, instruments, radios, no lights, no turn signals, etc. The car seemed to be running fine, but zero electronics. I was close to Madison, Wisconsin, drove to the nearest Ford dealer, drove into service, turned the key off, removed it, and the engine kept running. The service advisor came over, asked me to turn the vehicle off. I handed him the keys. Not sure I ever saw a reaction like that before he called over the service manager, who also had a what-the-heck look going on in his eyes. And I could see we opened up the bat, opened up the hood, removed the battery, killed the engine, waited 30 seconds, started the car, and everything came back. Did not lose anything, and it hasn't happened since. That was two and a half years ago. The reboot, reboot cured it as um, something I've never seen before. What are your thoughts? This comes to us from Michael. You know what, Michael? You know, I've seen weirder, and I think we're going to continue to see some strange things like that. I think the car of the future, in a lot of cases, gives us the potential where, like the desktop computer that locks up, Listen, 20 minutes before we started the show today, one of the computers here in my studio just dropped dead. Just went into a lockup. The mouse battery, I figured it out. I ended up diagnosing that. Always diagnosing, right? The mouse battery was weak. I had to change the mouse battery. That put the computer, because I'm using a wireless mouse, that put the computer in lockup, and I had to reboot it. And if I didn't do that, I wouldn't be able to look at the call screens. And we wouldn't have a radio show today. So sometimes rebooting the computer is the first and absolute mandatory step. Um, I never thought I would see it come down to automobiles. Let's go back to points and spark plugs. 855-560-9900. I'm Ron Annie in the Car Doctor. I'll be back right after this. Don't go away. Car Doctor, 855-560-9900 is the phone number. What's on your mind? Let's talk about it and fix your car problem now once and for all. Jim, Pleasant Plains, Illinois, 2006 Ford Super Duty 250 diesel truck. What's going on, Jim? Jim? Jim going once. Jim, Jim is Jim there? Jim's gone. Uh-oh. Then let's go over and talk to Maynard, Palatine, Illinois with some questions and comments at Jaguar about an oil change interval. Maynard, what's going on? How are you, sir? Uh, good morning. Yes, sir. Yeah, it's got to be one or the other, like I always say. What what can I do for you, sir? Good morning, so much. Yeah. Um, 
2011 Jaguar XF, I bought a used about six months ago. And given my oil change, every 7,500 miles, I don't Jaguar right when they say one year or 15,000. But last time I was there, they told me they don't bring the oil the old-fashioned way, they use a vacuum on it. And I remember when I was doing my own oil change, just that now sometimes I let it sit and run and run, all the last drop, no flood out. I'm just wondering how good is the vacuum aspiration for oil change? I'm not a fan of it. I've, you know, and and part of the thing, I, you know, part of the beauty of an oil change, you, you know what the best oil change is? You know, and this will sound crazy, like I get excited about doing oil changes. If I'm changing the oil on one of my own vehicles, this is the advantage of owning the place. I'll put it up on the lift Thursday, yeah. you know, at night before we go home. I'll start the oil change and then I'll lower it down and I'll let it drip overnight. You'd be amazed. And you have to do this as an experiment. You know, you let all the oil drain out and it gets down to those last couple of drops. Throw a drain pan underneath it and let it sit overnight. There's another half a quart of dirty oil that comes out of that engine. And, yeah. you know, that, that dirty oil is contamination. When you put in the fresh oil, it mixes and dilutes it down. Now, yeah, the argument could be made, so what, you know, over the course of the life of the vehicle. But over the course of the life of the vehicle, you're leaving more and more contaminant in the engine. And in my mind, the more contaminant I get out, the better off I am. So fast forward to your question. Vacuum oil changes, we're going to vacuum the oil out. I think the reason we're doing that is because either the oil change techs are too stupid to understand how to properly torque a drain plug and worried about stripping it, or in the ease of speed, they're looking to make it as simple as possible, get the most cars through and in and out the door, and, and you know, make more money. Yeah. Um, I don't agree with it. I think, that, I think that's ridiculous. Well, this is the demon who does it, so right. I don't know. Well... And you know what? I'd be curious if every Jaguar dealer did that. I know some that do not. And, you know, while I understand Jaguar and some of the other Highline cars all have their little unique idiosyncrasies that makes them, you know, the better car. But uh, in the end, it's still an internal combustion engine. It still needs proper care and maintenance. And I don't think vacuuming the oil is is really what I would consider to be correct. Well, the guy said that the, the engine was built to do it that way. There's a little pipe that's right under the solar cap, which yeah. they hook up to the vacuum machine. So. Yeah, I know. In the interest of yeah. better service, uh, you know, it's it's. I disagree with it. I disagree with the 7,500 mile oil drain interval. I definitely disagree with the 15,000 mile oil drain interval. And I, you yeah. know, I, I I just I just don't see it. You know. Well, it's, it's, I use seventy five hundred miles, but they use synthetic oil. Right. Let me so, ask you this: how many how many miles you got on the car, Ainer? About sixty. About sixty. Right. Sixty thousand. You know what's really interesting to me? In all the years I'm doing radio, I don't have anybody call me and say my car's got two hundred thousand miles on it. I've been changing the oil every seventy five hundred to ten thousand miles. They're they're fewer mm-hmm. and farther between, and I wonder if that means something. You know, just to make the I point. I, I I don't know. You had mentioned that there's no oil filter out that's going to last that long. Do they last 7,500 miles? Right. There is, no, there is no oil. There's, there's, well, there's very few oil filters that will go the 7,500-mile limit. There's none that will last 15,000 that I know of. All right? Right. That's what I And what I encourage everybody to do is to hold the dealer's feet to the fire, which will ultimately hold the manufacturer's feet to the fire, is when you go in, ask them, ask them about the oil filter. 
Is it something special? Is it the something manufacturer design that it's designed to go that oil change interval? Every oil filter manufacturer that I talk to always brings up the point that, you know, 7,500 is top of the top of the heap. Now, Wix does have some oil filters that will, you know, go the furthest from what I've seen with the studies and the results, maybe approaching the eight, 9,000 mile mark. But beyond that, no, sir, not more than that. And I encourage you to get out. I was doing some reading. I was out on their website the other day. Get out to Wixfilters.com, and you'll see some of the things I was talking about. But, you know, to, to go 15,000? No, I don't see it. I don't, no, I don't see either. It. So. That's why I thought sometimes somebody was competitive. Okay, this most of my driving highway. And I'll tell you what, and then then I'm going to go. If if the vacuum tube way of changing oil was so wonderful and worked so well, how come everybody's not doing it? Right? That's a good question. That's a good question. You ever notice you ever notice how all the cars today look alike? They all oh, yeah. seem to look alike, all right? They all seem to look like a hard hat with four wheels, you know, going down the road. How come that is? That's because everybody's accepted that style, and what one does, the other does, and they all become copycats. And there's nothing really new on cars today. They've all got ABS and airbags and fancy radios and GPS and satellite guidance and all the rest of that nonsense. They all duplicate and emulate each other. If vacuum change oil changes were so gosh darn great, how come they're all not doing it? And that's the question. Take that back to the dealer and tell him to stick that in his pipe and smoke it. 855-560-9900. Ron and Andy in the car, doctor. Coming back right after this. My pappy said, son, you're going to drive me to drinking if you don't stop driving that hot rod Lincoln. Have you heard the story of the hot rod race with the Fords and the Lincolns was set in the face? That story is true. I'm here to say I was driving that Model A. Welcome back. We're on the name of the car doctor. Let's see if Jim's there this time. Pleasant Plains, Illinois. Jim, you're there. 2006 Ford Super Duty. What's going on? I'm here. How you doing, Ron? Good, sir. How can I help you? Well, I bought a, uh, a Ford uh, Super Duty in 06, uh, in 06 new, and uh, approximately about four years later. Can you hear me okay? I sure can. Okay. About four years later, started in 010, my first caliper locked up. Since then, I've had nine calipers locked up. Uh, Half the time pulling a camper out of town, and the, the other half approximately uh, just locally. When when you say locked up, Jim, are you saying they're hydraulically locked, or they seize on the slides? They hydraulically locked up. Okay, so in other words, if you were to if if it it's not a question of the caliper will move on its pins or its slide bushings, it's the piston is stuck in the bore. That is correct. The piston is stuck in the board. Not the slides are lubed and they're free, but the piston is actually locked up. Okay. And then what do you do to fix it? Just put a caliper on, bleed the system, and you're done. Caliper uh, hose go through. The, you know, just depends uh, where I'm at. Yeah, basically change the caliper, and uh, some of them will last uh, two, three years. And then in the last uh, recent time here, I last. Uh, I was down in Florida, and I had to find a place down there on vacation. So I just had them redo both of them at the same time because take a chance, but that one never lasted a year. So I didn't know if you had any ideas. Did you ever take one of the old calipers apart to see what it looks like inside? 
did not. You know, I'm wondering any corrosion. I'm also wondering about anything that looks like um, a galvanic reaction, uh, any signs of electrical arcing. I'm thinking about a bad ground issue in the vehicle. As crazy as that sounds, I start, you know, yeah. when, when I get repeated metallic failure, you know, back in the old days, Chrysler's used to go through, I'm going to date myself here, Chrysler Aries K cars. We used to go through wheel bearings when the ground strap between the engine and the right front motor mount fell off. They would It would seek ground through alternate means, and it would actually wipe out the wheel bearings on a repetitive basis. Wow. And, I, and I just start to think about chassis ground, engine ground. Are they good and clean? I, you know, I'm reaching, but I'm looking for a reason. But I, I would, you know, ask you the next time it fails, pull the piston apart. Take it out. Is the bore spotlessly clean? What's in it? Is it, is it sludge? Is it, is, it, is it a contaminant that you can identify? Is it little pieces of something else? This, this is a hydroboost system, correct? Right. There's a diesel. And, um, yeah. you know, what does the master look like? You know, have you done a complete brake fluid flush? Do you flush the brake fluid on a regular basis? Or this is a camper, you said? I pull a camper with it. No, it, it's just the regular pickup truck. So you use it. So you use it all the time. Not all the time. That's one of the things that uh, they've told me because I have a work vehicle. So I don't. I've only got sixty-eight thousand miles on it. And right. I mean, if I'm not camping, I drive it uh, sparingly the rest of the time. So what does it sit? Does it six six months out of the year? Oh no, never more than a week or. Oh, months. okay, okay. Um, if, if this were mine and I were trying to maintain it, number one to track the problem down, I'd, I'd be looking. I'd be looking at the failure. What failed in there? Is it is it that there's there's got to be something that's making this stick? Is there something that looks like it's an electrical issue that's you know a bad ground that it's seeking ground through the caliper brackets, and and doing it like that? Does it look like contaminant from an outside source? Do I have the? Is this still the original master that's on the car? Yes. The the fluid's been completely flushed twice. Okay. So. You know, is this is this a question of that the environment that it's in is causing moisture inside the brake fluid? You know, brake fluid absorbs moisture, and right. it's creating that issue. Now, I wonder if you went to a silicon-based brake fluid, if you went to DOT5, and DOT5 is a pain in the butt to bleed, and dot five will not intermix with dot three or four, so the system has to be completely flushed when you make the changeover. But I wonder if a silicon brake fluid would resist moisture. Of course, you'd have to know if that's how the caliper or why the caliper failed in the first place. Right. You know. But so, you don't know of any uh, certain not like maybe got calipers during that time of any recalls or something. No, that. nothing yeah. like that. And I would venture to guess that you've probably purchased calipers from all the rebuilders out there from A1 on down to everybody else. You know, it sounds like you travel with this, so it sounds like you're, you know, you're not able to be choosy about where you get them from, am I right? That's correct. Yeah. Um, you know, I would hope you're buying them from at least somebody that you've got a lifetime guarantee on them. You know, I think A1 or I think if you buy something through O'Reilly Auto Parts, uh, it's got a better guarantee on it than most. You could take a look at that, and maybe that's a source. But, you know, it is your right, and I do this all the time. I get a part that fails. I will send it back to the manufacturer and say, what failed on this? And let them do a little NCIS stuff. Um, okay. let, let their Abby Shudo go through it with their spectrometer there and uh, <laughs> see what kind of contaminants in it. And, um, 
you know, kind of take it apart like that. But I would think about a ground. I would think about contamination. I would think about, and obviously the quality of the caliper is 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 in this conversation too. But I don't want to just blame bad parts. I'm looking for a reason. Well, all right, I, I appreciate it. All right, sir. Let me know how you make out. I'm kind of curious. It's um, I always like a good mystery. You're very welcome. You take good care. Let's go over real quick and talk to Bruce, Sarasota Springs. See what's going on here. Bruce, welcome to the car doctor. How can I help? Okay. Uh, hello, Ron. Yes, Thanks sir. for taking my call. You're welcome. What's going on here? And I'd just like to say real quick, I've been listening to your show a long time. Very good. Thank you for podcasting. And uh, it's like my one-hour classroom in automotive technology every week. Well, I'm glad to be here for you, buddy. What's going on? Thank you. I have an O2 Honda CRV that's not charging. Okay. Uh, when I called you earlier in the week, I was looking for a little um, experience, really, with these. And as I went on through the week to look into it a little further, I found out they had an ELD device, which uh, I think you're familiar with. Yep. And I'm wondering, what is your experience, Ron, at 152,000 miles? What usually goes? An alternator, usually. Um, I'm sorry, the alternator. Usually oh. it's the alternator, all right? Um, usually what happens here is that the diagnosis is there's a black-yellow wire at the alternator, right? Yes. Okay. You want to make sure that that has battery voltage key on. And you want to also make sure that the charge light lights up with the key turned on. All right? Okay. All right? Right. Turn the key on and make sure that the charging light is lit. All right? Yes. What happens next is the voltage regulator will ground the white-blue wire to illuminate that charge light. So if that charge light is not lit, that tells me we've got a problem in the voltage regulator circuit. Okay. okay, I can tell you this much, that the charge light does come on when I do the light test with the ignition, but once I start the vehicle, the light will not come on. Okay. The last thing you can do is, and this is this is the final test, if you've got power, if you've got voltage on the black-yellow, mm-hmm. all right, and you've got a good ground between the alternator case and the engine block and the engine block to the body, all your grounds are, all your ducts are in a row there. Okay. Okay. The white-green wire. All right. If you if you disconnect that white green wire from the alternator circuit, okay, the charging system will work like any other alternator. Because I'd be bypassing the ELD. Right. Correct. Okay. The okay. ELD is there so they can modify the charge rate to achieve emissions and fuel economy and idle quality. They won't charge okay. as heavily based on state of charge of the battery and demand on the system. Okay. All right. Last real quick question. Where yeah. do I find that harness connector for the alternator? Is it buried down in there? Oh, yeah, it's buried down in there. Okay, it's, up underneath or off from the top? Uh, wherever the connector comes in. I think it comes in from the top, if I'm not mistaken. And that white, okay. that white red wire is just signal return to the computer so it knows when to idle up. That's got really nothing to do with the circuit. Okay, great. If you need more information, if you need a wiring diagram or something, email me, ron at cardoctorshow.com. I'll send something out to you. All right, Bruce, you take good care. 855-560-9900. The car doctor's coming back right after this. back. We're on the the car doctor at 855-560-9900. Keep in mind, you need me during the week. You want to get in the queue for next week's show. Call 855-560-9900. Leave a message. Fast Harry will call you back and put you in the lineup for the show that's coming up. We are live Saturdays, 2 to 4 p.m. out on the affiliates 
as um, we are here each and every weekend for you. We want to thank you for allowing us to be part of your your radio listening experience and your podcast listening experience. I'm uh, very happy to be able to do this for you all these years and uh, answer questions and answer emails like this one from Michael who writes in, Hey, Ron, I've got a 2014 Jeep Rubicon, and I'm interested in tires, and I'm reading on the General Tire website about this Grabber X3 that's rumored to be coming out. What can you tell me about it? Well, I can tell you this, Michael. It's sort of a secret, so I can't tell you too much. I can tell you that the Grabber X3 is going to be unearthed in the fall, uh, sometime in the fall of 2016 coming up. Um, There's a lot of talk about it, about its performance in mud, dirt, and rock, and that's really what they're going for. They're going for a real off-road tire. It's um, supposed to be a very big seller, and uh, more to come and uh, more information here as soon as I get it. As soon as I'm able to talk more about it, I will. But right now, all I can tell you is, yes, General Tire has a new tire coming out. It's the Grabber X3. It's an aggressive mud terrain tire. The 3 stands for extreme performance in mud, dirt, and rock, and um, that's about it. Till the next time, the mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless.